Welcome back to the Tipsy Tennis Podcast. If you haven't followed me on Instagram yet, hit it up at Tipsy Tennis Podcast. That's the handle. I'm your host, Adam Borak, and today we have a fire episode for you guys. We are going to dive a little bit backstage into the tennis media industry with my guest this week, Noah Wolf. We were ball boys for the US Open back in our teenage years, and he started a digital consulting company for tennis brands. Welcome to the pod this week, Noah. Let's get it started. Today, uh, we on the Tipsy Tennis Podcast, we are brought to you by Bullet Bourbon. Uh, as per Noah's request, to get the show started, we are going to shotgun some beers. Oh, shotgun. I haven't beer done this since college. All right. Only to, uh, to tennis. To tennis. Cheers. Cheers. I guess I won. Oh, man. Something's never changed. Oh. You think it's going to end and it just doesn't. <coughs> Oh, all right. Let's get the show started. So you work in media now, right? What uh, tell us? Uh, tell us what you do. For uh, you travel a little bit to tournaments. Sorry. You hang out with pros. You meet pros. You interview pros. Tell us a little bit about that. Sorry, I'm just I'm processing my <laughs> my beer here. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, where where to start? Uh, I mean, every every day I wake up and I, I think about this circus that I that I found my that I find myself involved in today. Yeah. Um, so in short, I have a media production company working with tennis clients. So that's on the venue side, events such as the. Wait, or, you run it? Are you like? Yeah, it's 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 my company. Oh well, shit! Congrats. Oh that's yeah. Really well, How old are you again? Twenty-five, and have never had a. Sorry, excuse me. I've, I've never had a real job. Uh, you, you, you wouldn't guess that from somebody who was uh, struggling to hold down a, a beer after that he just shotgunned, but uh, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> um, so you started a media company. That's pretty, that's pretty dope. Yeah. So now, how, where is that taking you? Where is that taking me? Well, all around the U.S. Um, and to, to France as well. Uh, I was working with Lacoste for a little bit uh, as well on the brand side. Um, they were actually one of my early clients, and uh, now my partner from over there actually works with me um, as a consultant contractor uh, doing some projects here and there in Florida. Uh-huh. Um, so that's been really cool for us. But overall, what we do is uh, we consult um, with brands, with venues, and with events, um, doing everything from top-of-the-funnel social media video production um, all the way through sales conversions. So from when you, say, see in tournaments Instagram ad we would produce that creative all the way through managing the sales journey to the point where you're, say, willing to buy a ticket. Um, so that's oh, what wow. we do. And then I myself work as an MC and a host in the tennis space. Mm-hmm. So I travel around to a couple events um, at the tour level and then also do a couple of... Uh, Challenger? Not, not challengers. I, I'm not sure what you would call them, but uh, USTA events. Uh, and then also things like uh, Les Petites, uh, which is a top, fi- uh, top flight uh, junior tournament. Mm-hmm. And then kind of special activations as well. Um, so we do some things down in Florida and uh, in California as well. Ball boing. I want to I dig into that a little bit. You know, that's, by the way, that's how I got my start, doing what I do on the event side now. Oh, yeah? In short, so is, is really two things that kind of happened side by side. Mm-hmm. So I guess the first part, I studied broadcast and digital journalism in college. Okay, uh, when I graduated, I, I wanted to say I was going to do sports media. I was going to be a local TV sports anchor. That was that was my career like path. Like barstool. 
Not quite like Barstool, more like uh, more like local NBC affiliate. Okay. Um, and on the flip side, what I had really wanted out of my life, out of my career, is to be involved, of course, in the content creation side and be on camera. I mean, that was my dream. But also to be involved in the business side of, th of things. And mm -hmm. I, I had uh, this research project that I had done over my junior and senior year. And when push came to shove, uh, I had this advisor um, who told me that I, what my research was, which was the best practices to engage younger demographic audiences through digital content. Say oh. that 10 times fast. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Uh, all right, ready? Sure. Memology. Memology. Oh, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> it's a study of, I don't even remember what you said. Whatever you said, the best way to best reach. Best practices the, to the, engage younger demographic audiences through digital content. The best practices for engaging younger audiences through media platform. Did I say it right? Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> Memes, bro. When you, when, when you talk about engaging what you uh, younger demographic audiences <laughs> yeah like i said it was a mouthful anyway I mean, to to just to, to wrap up the story i i started this company based on this research and started making digital content for the west side tennis club out in forest hills and have since kind of expanded out to a few other things as well mm -hmm. um but so that really was the first prong of the of the business and uh, it was it was really funny. Uh, Luke Jensen, former director of Racket Sports, there was a huge mentor and a friend there who plugged me into a couple other tennis places as well and a couple of events. Mm -hmm. um, NYJTL Bronx Open is a story for another time. Anyway, so while this company growth was to answer your original question, while this company was it just you or did you? Did you yeah, work? It started. It, I started. It was just myself. It was, it was just, just myself, yourself. and I've since kind of grown it into this animal with. Uh, Three slash four full time and uh, and a couple of contractors too. That's solid. So it's it's that been is it's been good. It's been good. And wrote, mm -hmm. Congrats. So yeah, thanks. Um, um, but yeah, at the same time that this was going on, this was the U.S. Open 2019. I was there making videos with Luke Jensen. This was my first year on the media side. Uh -huh. I did a video on the Ball Kids too. It was it was so fun. The 2019 U.S. Open, my first year on the media side, uh -huh. was honestly my favorite U.S. Open. Who won it that year? That's a great question. Was um, it Joe? I want to say Novak. I want to say Novak. Did he beat Federer in the final? That was the last uh, the last one Federer played, maybe. 20, 2019. What's the last? Oh, we have to look this up. Pre, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll, I'll pull it it, up. It's funny. The, the two tennis guys can't remember who won the Open in 2019. You, you tell me a year and a player, and I'll tell you how they did. While I look this up, they, give me a, a year and a player and a grand slam. Uh, and I'll tell you how they did that year. 1971 okay, at US let's Open. Not <laughs> 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 let's not go that far. Uh, like 2012 and on, or 10. 2012. 2010. You're picking the years where you ball void. A dozen years going across the entire board. 2019. Go. 2014. 2014. Women's. Who won the U.S. Open? Um, Serena Williams. Yeah, Serena. That was uh, that Serena was her started Williams. her started dominance there, right? Or not start, but uh. It was during her, when she won, what, five in a row? Uh, she won, I think it was f four in a row. Four in a row, excuse me. Four yeah. in a row. Kleister's was right before that. Mm -hmm. And then after that, Panetta 
Remember that? Panetta yes, I do and, remember the Panetta uh, one. Arani? Yeah, and Arani. Yeah, that was yeah. The year afterwards, nobody showed up to that final. Mm -hmm. Oh, Nadal won it in 2019. Nadal won in 2019, of course. He beat Medvedev. Yes. Oh, my God, that match. That was Medvedev's first final, wasn't it? Yes. At a Grand Slam, yeah. I have viewing parties for all of the Grand Slam finals where I, has, I have a projector. We create a drinking game out of it where, like, every time somebody double faults, you take a drink. My favorite one in that is uh, whenever somebody challenges a call, you need to guess whether it's in or out. And then if you're wrong, you got to finish your drink. That's an aggressive drinking game right there. But that, if you get it right, you're good. It's the, <laughs> it's the best. And this is what I love about tennis. I tell my friend, you know what's crazy about tennis? It's like, what? I'm like, match can be done in 20 minutes or two hours. Like, it looked like it was all Nadal all the way. And this was, this was just going to be like a standard cleanup. And the crazy thing is it took another two hours. Medvedev, somehow, he, he won that third set. He won that fourth set. That fifth set was tight. Was that a, was really his announcement, or his, him announcing his arrival among those top guys, I thought. That have you ever interviewed him? I, no, I've never actually been on court with Medvedev, uh, funny enough. I've been around him. Um, it's actually funny. I, as a ball boy, I, uh, I, I had one of his matches, I, I want to say, on grandstand or 17 before he was maybe, I mean, uh -huh. he was definitely he was top 50 at that point, but um, definitely wasn't anybody yet. And I just remember, uh, I mean, he was just like such a funny guy on court. I mean, you know, as you know, as a ball boy, where you look at the mannerisms of every player. Yeah, of course. I think that one of the coolest matches I ball boyed was Kyrgios and Kakanakis in juniors. You remember Camille? I do. Yeah. He ball boyed for Del Potro, and then two years later, he won. He won the U.S. Open. Yeah, it's, you never. Mm -hmm. they you never know used, who's going to come up. And they always used to say that you never know who you're going to be able to say you ball boyed for. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you right back at you, I had a, this actually, this might not have been juniors, but this was probably his first year on the tour. Sasha Zverev kept having me run his dad water bottles in the stands on a night. To I his dad? To his dad. I would on the changeover. <laughs> this happened, I'm not, I'm not kidding, three times during the course of this match, I took a water from the special water that you know yeah. we weren't allowed to take from. The Evian. Yep, the Evian. Oh. And you always knew you had it made when you were stealing an Evian from somewhere. <laughs> but I took water to his dad three times. And then you look at uh, everything that's happened since and you say, wow, yeah, I was your water bitch for a minute. I was your water. <laughs> what's your, what's your like, craziest, funniest ball boy story? Was craziest, funniest like the ball most, boy story? The most memorable thing that just Oh, like, oh, oh, easy, easy. easy? Um, I ran into Roger Federer in a bathroom. Yeah. Under Ash. Under um, Ash? Under Ash. You were on court and you ran to the bathroom? Yes, I ran <laughs> to the bathroom. He wasn't playing, mind you. He had no business being there as far as I was concerned. Uh -huh. I'm in the bathroom in my uniform with my credential. Mm -hmm. And he walks in like I was, I finished up. Your dick is out and Fur <laughs> is like, you know, nice watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I mean, come on, man. We weren't allowed to wear watches on court. Federer's dick was out, and you're like, hey, nice watch. Oh, okay, other way around. Um, well, I mean, not exactly as, uh, as vulgar as that, Ro but Rolex. I kind of looked at him, and he looked at me. We, I, and then you looked at him. I said, I said hey, I said, hey, and he kind of gave me a nod and a smile, and that was really the extent of the You're interaction. Starstruck. That was That was honestly the probably one of the few and only times that I've been starstruck. The, the other time, uh, I was, I think, a little starstruck. I went to Taste of Tennis one year. What um, is that? Taste of Tennis is uh, this gala event 
um, where they invite all the players and invite all of uh, the celebrities who are super into tennis. So you know who I'm talking about, Leo DiCaprio, Will Ferrell, Bradley ben, Stiller. Coop, ben Stiller, Bradley Cooper. So my story relates to Bradley Cooper here, and this was Taste of Tennis, um, open bar, free food, great event. It's over in Cipriani, or it was uh, at Cipriani on 42nd. Mm -hmm. And my, I was with my colleague at the time who was uh, working an event with me, and she's like, that's Bradley Cooper there. And she had already had a few, I had had a few. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's Bradley Cooper. She runs over to him, says, Bradley, come take a shot with us. <laughs> And so we go and we it? took a shot of open scotch with Bradley Cooper. No way. So not necessarily a ball boy story that there, but uh, I mean, that was probably one of the cooler things. Cheers to taking a yeah, shot with yeah. Bradley Cooper. Cheers to Bradley Cooper, yeah. That's funny. And that's, that's just one of the things, and I, I really, I, I tell you, man, I am so blessed to be doing what I do now and having the experiences and the stories that I've been able to experience over the past few years. I mean, mm -hmm. COVID notwithstanding. But yeah. it's, it's really, it's, it's been an adventure. And I mean, pursuing so the, everything from the on-court interviewing to the video production, um, to working with the players and figuring out ways to help them push their narratives. It's, it's really, it's just something that I love to do. Have you ever seen a player has done that's like embarrassing? No names. You ever seen like some like or like just something like weird, or like there, you know what I mean? Yes, You're there is a player. Names. I'm I'm not gonna name names because I know for a yeah. fact I'm going to see her, and if she <laughs> for some reason listens to this, she'll know who she is. <laughs> but there is a serial nose picker on the WTI Women's Tennis Tour. <laughs> there is a serial nose picker. Does she eat it? She just uh, her nose. No, no, she she didn't need it. But uh, anyway, somebody, I there's a weird kid in my middle in elementary school. <laughs> literally just like here and then look at it. <laughs> so again, not naming names there, but you you know who you are. Oh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, do you yeah. actually mm -hmm. do you do you only do tennis or do you do do you do other sports? The tennis people are the ones who pay me. <laughs> I feel like the so, tennis community is very loyal. They're very, it's close-knit. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody. It's, it is incredible, really. I mean, that, the, the joke that we used to make is it's the same 150 people who run tennis on the event, venue, and brand side mm -hmm. on the entire East Coast, from New York Coast. to Florida. The same 150 people you'll deal with in some capacity or another. Mm -hmm. And well, I mean, I think that 150 number might be a little low. If it's like 500, I don't think that's a stretch. I kind of feel like USTA monopolized American tennis, and then you see like UTR, like kind of break through, and and they're they're legit. Well, one, I think what UTR is doing is really <coughs> freaking cool. I love it. I, um, I'm I'm pro UTR. I think what UTR and honestly also USTA do is they democratize the game. There are so many pathways to get involved in tennis. And even if you're not necessarily, it's not just like the pros to the juniors. Even if you look at the competitive adult programming that mm -hmm. USTA puts leagues. out. I played in some leagues. That's, I, I really want to do it. I mean, right now I'm so out of tennis shape. I'd play like a set and probably drop. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's a, for, for another time. But uh, I think what these organizations are doing in UTR with effectively what they're doing is creating open events at the local and regional level 
is exactly what tennis needs. And what it does is I think it engages a whole demographic of tennis, um, that uh, tennis players, I should say, that would otherwise not be picking up a racket and playing with any kind of competitive drive. Yeah, I've, I think a lot of the barriers for tennis have, are, are slowly getting broken down with a lot of these programs. Mm -hmm. programs. And, and I'll say this will be my shameless USTA plug. Um, <laughs> Is that what they're doing? At the, yeah, and at the community level too, with the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, is is incredible. Um, and and I, I say that. I mean, I think it's really, really cool to say, okay, we know who's already interested in tennis, but who's the next crop of tennis fans? Who's mm -hmm. the next crop of players who are going to drive the sport forward? And I think that they have a really good pulse on that. Mm -hmm. um, over or those are our, our friends over at USTA. Not because we contracted with them. It's 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 the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> Cheers to USD. I mean, I play, grew up playing on it, playing with them. We still have to get on a court. I feel like you'd wipe me right now, but uh, it would it would be so fun. So originally, the first episode, I I filmed it on a tennis court. So I did a Prospect Park, and I, and when we we're trying to figure out like a location for this, and I like the idea of using like a tennis court as a background because it's kind of like a moving background, you know, mm -hmm. and it kind of sets the scene. After the podcast, I want to do a thing where I challenge my guest to a tiebreaker. And that now would, we're going to be playing tipsy tennis. Now we're going to uh, tipsy now tennis. We're playing tipsy tennis. You know, the Syracuse Club tennis team actually did have a thing like that. Oh, yeah. For, for us at Fordham, uh -huh. was, uh, Fridays were tipsy tennis day. Oh, we, you had a day. We just did it a couple times. Uh, oh, no. Every Friday, we, 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 we would play tipsy tennis. We did, we, like, at Fordham, there wasn't much of like a frat life. There was no Greek life. Mm -hmm. and, and like all the, all the clubs, it was like the, the varsity teams and like the club teams that were like the frats, where that's like where you went for the parties and things like that. Club tennis, we never really got into that because like we needed, we, nobody had an apartment they were willing to destroy. I, I was honestly going to say, is club tennis really the kind of vibe that throws down? Yes. Tennis players fucking throw down. There was this one guy, Jake Sasankin, he would. He went to. He went to high school with my brother at Brooklyn Tech, and he was like a national, like national junior. And then he went to college, played D one, and my brother ran into him at the U S Open one year, just like randomly, and he's like, "Oh, you know, hey, how's it been? What are you up to nowadays? Whatever," and he got fat. And I'm not trying to trash on him, but this is. Th these are his words. And he's like, during the tennis season, everything like you're training, you're going to the gym every day, you're playing tennis. When it's off season. Everybody just fucking drinks and parties, and then you and then you lose all of that weight, getting ready for the season. You know, I'm a big fan of the 80-20 rule. Um, What's that? Eighty percent good, twenty percent drinking or degeneracy or whatever it's your vice may yeah. be. It's a balance. See, I could never let myself go, because yeah. if I did that, I knew I wouldn't be able to get it back. Oh yeah. So in, in college, for example, I mean, and again, not, I don't want to overstate my, my level of athleticism. I mean, trust me, I was never all that, but definitely did take care of myself. Mm -hmm. I said that I would drink vodka and not beer because I didn't want the carbs. I, I mean, I, I'll swear by it. I, I mean, liquor is the way to go. You know, actually, I, I should confess that that was, that was an utter lie. I have shotgun a beer since college. Um, I, I actually remember... Uh, it was about a year ago, actually, when we re-signed the lease. We're, we're currently in my apartment. Um, I shotgunned a beer with, uh, with one of my friends out there. That was the last time I shotgunned. So well, it's been a year. Before that, it was college. Yeah, before that, it was college. Well, you're in uh, luck. Uh-oh. 
I got two more beers. Right here. Another, this feels like fraternity hazing. We got two more beers. I think we're about halfway through the show. I think it's time we do, uh, we do another one, another round. How do you feel about that? I'm game if you're game. I mean, I feel like you're just going for redemption at this point. I mean, because I smoked you on the first one. You know, I didn't realize this is a competition, but now that I know. That, yeah, that, that, that's what it was. You, you, you just you didn't necessarily the, the, have the, uh, the, the, flow, o like, the flow. Yeah. Like physically, I couldn't win. Mother. <laughs> he, he shook my beer right there. Oh, God. All right, the equipment's good. Well, yeah, the equipment's good. Uh, I'm, a, I'm dry, or well, mostly dry. The couch didn't really get super wet. Uh, I should probably clean up that floor um, here. Well, do, do you mind if we take a break after this? Of course. Yeah. All right. All right, so for anybody who thinks that tennis is a pussy sport. I guess you're looking at two former club athletes here. We're, we're varsity athletes here. No, we got the making of a club athlete. Oh, making of a club <laughs> athlete. Okay, cheers to that. Three, two, one. Doesn't get better. Close. Yeah, that was close. You won again. Congrats. Still hits just as hard, right? Yeah. Oh, man. <sighs> Terrible. Makings of a club athlete. Emphasis on club. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a question. I have an answer. If you can change one rule about tennis, professional tennis, what would you change? And it could be for, like, better for the sport, something that's more entertaining. Oh, hmm. that's me, a great question there. I would say, and all the tennis purists out there are going to hate me for this. Okay. Take away the concept of a second serve. Take away. And do that in, let's say, a super high leverage situation, like a final set or a tie break. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Number one, Zverev is losing 10 out of 10. <laughs> this, guy, this guy can barely get a serve in. I think he, he averages the most double faults on the entire tour. So, but think about it. In a final set, if there was no second serve, well, well, strategically, I mean, for one, I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, you really have to be selective where you go for it. You take away the second serve, you're playing a lot more points. Well, because suddenly you don't necessarily go aggressive with your serve. Exactly. Or on the flip side is you just super hone your serve. Think about you it. super hone it. Yeah, think about it. I mean, if you're able to, let's, I mean, say, let's say you serve at 75%, which is pretty damn good regardless mm -hmm. of level, like on a first serve. That's still gonna win you most games if you think about it if you're if you're winning three out of four points on your first serve because like, think about it if you're able to make your first serve 75 percent of the time that's great win three out of four of those points in a game statistically speaking i think like 65 to 70 65 percent is that golden number that you want to get your first your first serve percentage in now points one just you go lower than that then you're missing too many first serves you go higher than that. You're elite. Not even. No. It, like, I, I, if you have a 90% first serve percentage, honestly, I think that's too high because that means you're not taking a much enough risk on your first serve. 
And or you're just a. What if you're just superhuman? I mean, <laughs> like, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot you down here as somebody. Uh, I mean, not not saying I have a tennis pedigree or anything. I'm on the. I just talk about tennis, and that's how I make my living. But Where'd I mean, it's it's. I think that if you're serving at 90% on your first serve, and of course, I'm not talking about dinking it in. To use a pickleball term there, but. Mm -hmm. If you're serving at 90% on your first serve and bringing it, say, at 85% of your capa your maximum capacity, I'd say that's pretty freaking good. That's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. And you're probably um, going to win most of your points like that. I did, I did the numbers in my head. Because Verov, first serve, bomb. Great first serve. One of the best servers. If you break it down, statistically speaking, for a guy like Zverev to just only do first serves and you're getting it at 60% of the time in, you're hitting a little bit one over two, but... Well, it would be single faulting in this case. Sing single faulting. You look at his, uh, his statistics of the, the percentage of points one off of his first serve is like 85, 90%. If you wanna take the time and actually break down the math, statistically speaking, it's more efficient for Zverev to hit two first serves than to hit a first serve and then a second serve because then you're also taking into account the amount of second serve points won. You you run those numbers and I can tell you there's a 5 to 10% of efficiency in, in Zverev's uh, game if he only hits first serves. That's kind of like what Moneyball is about. Remember, you, you seen that of movie? Of course, yeah, yeah. Well, it's also it's a matter for them physics. Like, I mean, come yeah, on, if tall. you're if you're six ten, six eleven, I mean, you're not exactly going to be the best mover. Or you're not going to be able to. But like, name an amazing server who's under six four. Curious is what six five. Yeah. An amazing server under six four. You know, I'm gonna say Prime Roger. Prime yeah. Roger could bring it at one thirty and place it on a dime. What uh? What other players have you seen that's like? Oh, he's smaller than I thought, or he's bigger than I thought. Um, well, Diego is listed at 5'7", and I'm going to tell you Diego Schwartzman is not 5'7". So he's taller, right? No, he's shorter. He's shorter? I would say Diego <laughs> is about 5'5", five five, if I had to estimate. I'm, I'm Look at his ATP. I bet you he's listed at 5'7". Diego Schwartzman listed five, at 5'7". Oh. I mean, serve placement and consistency. Then if no you're Diego what, Schwartzman, how are you returning like an Opelka kick serve? Yes! Oh my god. Uh, I, I mean, I, I do not think Diego Schwartzman is 5'7". And on that bombshell, we bring this episode to a close. If you haven't already, check out the Instagram, at Tipsy Tennis Podcast. If you listen until the end, thank you for making it this far. Much, 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 much appreciated. And I will catch you guys next time. Stay tipsy.